Drunk Botany, episode 16. Hoist the glass and prepare to enter a world of gardens, brews, botany, and booze. Here's your host, Bill Creation. Everyone knows that your podcast hasn't really made it until you get to do an affiliate link for a shaving company. This was really hard for me, since I prefer old-fashioned methods of shaving, and most companies today market products that have more blades, plastic, and moving parts than I'm comfortable with. I strive to shave the same way that your grandfather did, with a single chromium-plated stainless steel blade. If it was good enough for American GIs in both world wars, then it's probably capable of tackling my own facial hair. That's how I came to find Vanderhagen. Vanderhagen makes a luxury shaving setup which includes a badger bristle brush that any bewhiskered man would be proud to own. They also provide a German steel double-edged safety razor blade. Forged in fire and hardened in ice, these blades hold their edge and fit your vintage razor. Find the perfect shaving set at drunkbotany.com slash razor and your refill blades at drunkbotany.com slash blades. Welcome everybody to another episode of Drunk Botany. This is your host, Phil Creation, and joining me today I have Ashley Bisley, formerly of Bisley Bottoms, and we are going to be talking about cottage gardening. Do you want to say hello, Ashley? Hello, everyone. So I figure probably the best place to start is how we know each other. So those of you who are listeners of the show will already have heard the episode on the cherries with Lauren Heidingsfelder. We all were in the same parenting group together, uh, which is how I know Ashley, who is kind of a super mom and uh, incredible getter done of things. So yeah, and I, orig I originally became aware of you because you had a, a stay-at-home mom company. Do you ha yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it and whatever happened to it? Yeah, sure. So um, let's see. In 2014, I had my first daughter, Eliana, and once I was about four months postpartum, I was just really chomping at the bit to get back to doing something, and I had fallen in love with cloth diapering and with Fluff Love, which is the kind of overarching group of the parenting group that we met in. And so um, I decided I wanted to start making my own cloth diapers, and I was talking it over with my husband, and we I was thinking, what's going to set me apart from everybody else? And that's when I decided I like quilting. So quilted diapers are going to be the star of Weasley Bottoms. And so that's... I was driving on the back roads in Oregon one day, visiting family, and it kind of came to me, like, that's what I'm going to do. So, yeah, I started making, I made my first quilted diaper, and I posted it in one of our very early uh, spin-off groups from Folk Love, and um, people really liked it, and I wasn't planning to be a business, I just wanted to make my own diapers, but so many people wanted them. And it was like a happy accident. I um, They came up with my name even. <laughs> I, I was like, guys, I don't even know what I would call myself. And somebody was like, well, Beasley Bottoms. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's not bad. And, yeah, so that's, that's where it all began. 
Has it been Beasley this whole time? It has, and you know what? So many people say Beasley, and um, it's not a big deal. All right. Well, I wouldn't want to offend. Maybe you'll join me for a glass of wine. Uh, of course. In fact, I I've already am one in. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds exciting. Well, I have today uh-huh. the Apothic Red Blend. Uh, it's a winemaker's blend from 2015. And uh, I've gotten out the old waiter's corkscrew. Now, I know a lot of different people. Well, for instance, how do you open your bottles of wine? What kind of corkscrew do you use? Um, Just the really cheap one that you buy at a grocery store. You know, I'm not, I don't have anything special. We probably use something very similar. I use what they call okay. a waiter's corkscrew. It folds up like a Swiss Army knife, fits in your pocket. Yeah. Uh, I like the one that has a second hinge on it. I actually bought mine from barproducts.com, and I looked around for one with, like, an Italian rosewood handle, which I'll link to in the show notes page uh, for those of you who would be interested in that sort of thing. Uh, But I very much wanted my wine key to be evocative of, say, your grandfather's pocket knife. So talk to me a little bit about cottage gardening, because I have been watching posts of your gardens for the past couple of years come through, and they strike me with such a sense of envy. Oh, thanks. Um, okay, cottage gardens. So the first thing, for anybody who's not familiar with what distinguishes a cottage garden from, say, just a regular backyard garden, you're going to see tightly packed varieties of flowers. Um, and so instead of just like tossing seeds outside, you're going to have separated different seeds into different piles and put them in certain areas. So when they grow, they're going to be very close together and it forms what I call a living mulch. So you're not really going to see any of the ground it's growing out of. You're just going to see lots of flowers. And you're going to see different heights, different styles, different colors. Um, so you're going to see really, really tall, really, really short some that sprawl across the ground, some that are very wide and have one big bloom, some that are small and have a lot of teeny blooms. So most people think of, you know, your standard English cottage garden where you see like this cobblestone cottage and then just these different kinds of floral landscapes that kind of encompass that. But a cottage garden doesn't have to be strictly floral. You can have an edible cottage garden and it can be more of vegetables and vining plants and things of that nature. So it, that's what a cottage garden is. It's it's interesting um, that you should bring up the edibles in it, because whenever I think of a cottage garden, I know everybody else in the world thinks of like these really rigidly maintained, but still kind of wildly overgrown uh, mm-hmm. German or British style gardens, but like I always imagine mm-hmm. if you've seen that remake of Beauty and the Beast, the garden that mm-hmm. Belle has, yes. uh, you know, like where they, yep. they, they step on the cabbage in the middle of the mud, but like there's still decorative stuff uh-huh. around it. And then there's like different shapes that recur throughout the garden. It seemed really interesting to me. Um, and I've noticed that you do a lot of things like that in terms of the landscaping, but also... Uh-huh. This is, uh, truth be told, this is an episode that we tried to do almost a year ago. Yeah. And And we just could not make the timing. Because uh, you're on the West Coast, aren't you? 
I am. Yes. Yeah. I'm so I'm I'm here on the I'm here on the northeast, and it is the miracle of the internet that brings us together and makes it possible for yes. to even have this conversation despite alterations in time zones. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so at the time that I was trying uh, to originally okay. research this episode there was a group that we had here local to me called the back mountain bloomers and they did a tour of cottage gardens where you know we would just drive to like five or six different places in my local back mountain area and there these were people who have been maintaining their different cottage gardens for 30 years and you know they, they had stories to tell about all of their different plants and you know, really amazing homes, and they were great gardens, but they got nothing on Ashley Beasley. Oh, thanks. So I opted um, not to talk to anybody local because I wanted instead to talk to you. So oh, I'm honored. Thank you. So I have seen not only pictures of your garden, I have seen uh-huh. pictures of your garden in the planning stages. Yes. So, so. H- how do you plan a garden? Well, okay, so let's back it up just a tiny bit. So you you were touching on something there. Um, the scene from Belle, Beauty and the Beast, Belle walking through the garden, um, you think of that because cottage gardens come from England and Europe and, you know, in European countries. They don't have these big sprawling lands like we do in America where we just have so much land. Um, so when they gardened, they had to have them out front in the sun in the only space that they had because, you know, they didn't have a supermarket. They had their garden. And so they had to make the best use of the space available. Sometimes they had to build trellises so that they could take their sprawling vegetables and plants and make them taller so that they had room for other things. So that's why you think of that when you think of cottage gardening. And that's not wrong by any means. That's very, very accurate. And that's more true to cottage gardening than what we think of now, the HGTV sort of um, elegant garden. But uh, yeah, so when it comes to planning your garden, there's a lot of things to take into consideration. First of all, are you wanting to do the floral garden? Are you wanting to do an edible garden? Are you wanting to do a mixture of both? How much space you have? Where the sun is coming in? So for example, you want to have a south-facing home when you're growing food, or not a south-facing home, but a south-facing yard or wherever it is you want to grow. I actually don't have one, and I'm quite north in Oregon, so I have to choose a lot of shady vegetables. Um, So you can work around that, but it works a lot better if you've got south-facing sun. And uh, what I do when I plan my garden is I uh, use hexagons and triangles. So every time when you grow a plant, a plant needs a certain amount of space. That makes the how far the leaves go out, how tall it gets. Um, and if you go a lot closer than what the plant needs, then you're going to shrink your plants down. So you take that into consideration. You take into consideration, obviously, the height of the plant because you don't want it shading out your other plants. So what I do is I pick my favorites. My personal favorites I am using this year are hollyhock, which is seven, eight feet tall, uh, dahlia, which can be five to six feet tall, lupine, which I really like because it adds nitrogen back into the soil. So I consider that plant not just because it's beautiful, but because it adds back to the soil. Delphinium, 
um, Garden Phlox Daisy, Aster, Snapdragon, Coneflower, Calabrosia, and Alyssum. And look so at these you are coming prepared for the fight. Varieties. Oh, what? I said, look at you coming prepared for the fight. Hey, I want to interrupt very quickly. Are you at all familiar with Mel Bartholomew's square foot gardening method? Because he, it bases, he bases everything around of literally what you're talking about. And it uh-huh. almost makes you wonder if it's almost a rediscovery. Because he was an engineer that adapted mm-hmm. American tilled field systems to the idea of a home garden taking up less space. But it turns out that was what a garden always was before, you know, we colonized the New World and decided to take over all of this great space. I just thought that that was really interesting because, and when you talk about the nitrogen fixing plants, how those, that he has charts for all of these different things in the book, Mm -hmm. you know, so I feel like this would be, if you wanted to combine food into a flower garden, that would be an invaluable resource. So maybe I'll link to that one in the show notes page as well. Yeah, that's actually one of the references I was going to include. I, I did read his book, Square Foot Gardening, and I read Intensive Gardening. I can't remember the author of that one right now. Um, and then the book I'm really into, I read it in two days, is called Mini Farming. I actually got it from a turtle as the uh, gift exchange this year. So, yeah, th- those methods are exactly what I'm talking about. And that's what I learned about <clears throat> when I talk about cottage gardening. That's really cool. Hey, an interesting side yeah. note, uh, speaking of turtles and spinoffs thereof, Ashley Marie Gardner told me that you can fit an entire bottle of wine into a venti starbucks cup in case you ever need that pointer when you're walking out to the garden Whoa. <laughs> i know blew my mind I, I never did the math before wow i did not know that but you know what i'm gonna stick that in my back pocket because i will be using that in the future <laughs> yeah you never know when you need a contents undisclosed container Anyway, right. where was I going with this? So you mentioned planning in triangles and planning in hexagons. So yes. I had always, I for some reason imagined you doing this on graph paper. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a nerd. I'm sure everybody that has listened to the show has figured that out by now. And I used to play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons when I was a kid. And all of our maps that would come <laughs> in our different box sets were all on hexagonal paper. I remember like going to a craft store and like saving up allowance in order to get it so that I'd be able to draw authentic maps. I mean, and then I have no artistic talent, so never actually do the maps. But do you use hexagonal paper like that that's available? I've also owned like the triangle paper where the triangles can form hexagons depending on how you shade it. Like, do you know what I'm talking about? I do. You're talking about the equilateral uh, graph paper. Yes. Um, I I haven't used that. Actually, I played Dungeons and Dragons, and I've always just used regular graph paper. Yeah, because um, they had it at school. Graph paper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I use graph paper, and I like the graph paper because I know what my scale is, and so um, I can just draw my dots and measure it out on the graph paper, and then draw it that way. Oh, you are um, legit. You take everything down to scale and everything. Oh, man. I should send you a picture of the garden that I'm planting right now. I've got little toothpicks marking every single seed, and I made myself a hexagon and an equilateral triangle and kind of danced it around my soil so that every place that there was a point, you put a seed. Like a it mason laying his tile. 
Yeah, it's all from the mini farming book. It's so cool. I'm going to check that Katie book out. Katie Bergen Dersha got that for me, by the way. Oh, wait, say that name again? Uh, Katie Bergen Dersha. Oh, no kidding. I'll have to I'll yeah. have to hunt her down and ask her yeah. uh, authors and things like that. But I think I need to get my hands on that book, maybe in like a Kindle style or something like that. Yeah. You know, I, I have enough physical books lying around. I majored in English. Oh, yeah. But you know what? Books have such a great smell to them. I just love the way books feel and smell. Yeah, I mean, me too. But, you know, it's a modern world and I'm trying to assimilate into it. <laughs> All right. So talk to me about how you choose which plants for your garden, because I've heard some people, particularly from this Back Mountain Bloomers group, mention that the whole idea behind a cottage garden is to use native plants whenever possible, uh-huh. uh, to encourage pollinators. Like, that's one of the issues. Mm-hmm. So if you're one of those save the bees type folks, and I know I, I am. am. yes. <laughs> yeah, then there are certain things that you want to pay attention to. But I've also heard that there are a lot of things out there that become invasive. And how do you watch out for that? Yes. Look, you're hitting everything I was going to talk to you about today. Okay, so um, number one is... Go to your local nurseries because they're going to have the plants that you're going to want to grow. Um, so out here in Oregon, what's really popular, or I guess uh, really native, is the azalea and the rhododendron. Um, these are bushes that are evergreen, and they flower in the early spring, and they have all kinds of different colors. Um, and they actually, they'll grow into almost tree height size bushes, just these big, massive Beautiful bushes. I also have uh, Phacelia and Queen Anne's Lace and Chicory and Sedum. Um, you know, just things that I can see growing along the side of the road or what are in other people's yards. I'm that person that if I see somebody out working in their garden, I'll walk up to them and be like, hey, talk to me about this plant. <laughs> I'm that so, person too, know, no but boundaries. that's how friends are made. Well, that's true, yeah. I do. I am friends with my neighbors for that very reason. <laughs> and, you know, what a shame that we live yeah. in a society where people, like, aren't friends with their neighbors anymore. I mean, like, I have neighbors here that I am friendly with, and there are people who, like, live within eyesight of my place that I don't even know their name. And I just, I don't understand that. Like, how has it been that I haven't been able to walk past somebody and been like, hey... You know, I'm your neighbor. You know, if you ever need a cup of sugar or a cocktail, come stop by. You know, it's people don't go outside anymore, and I think it's just us gardeners. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. It's funny because, like, the one neighbor that I talk to on a regular basis, he uh, is one of those, like, I maintain my lawn kind of people, and I'm one of those, like, don't care about my lawn, rather spend all day in my garden. You and I have so much in common. I just dug up all of my grass and put down more flower beds. <laughs> you know, if I did that, they would mm. never find my body. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen those memes online where it's just houses that are, you don't even see the house. It's just vines and trees and plants. And it says, well, they used to live here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have not that's seen that. But that's yes. kind of like how I could see this ending up for me, especially in like August when everything just kind of breaks away from you and is like, I'm reaching maturity. Right. I know. It, yeah. And then you really have to get out there with your shears or things are going to end badly. 
Well, you're on the West Coast, and you were able to give me a whole bunch of really useful plant designs and things like that, and I don't really have as much that I can tell people about on the East Coast, but I do have a lot of resources uh-huh. that I managed to get from other people. I can't rattle off plants the way that you did, because, like, I'm predominantly a tomato person. That was kind of my intro to the whole world of gardening, and I've branched out to a couple other different vegetable plants and things like that, but... I think this is going to be the first year that I attempt flowers, and I'm I'm oh. toying with the idea of going back and forth between planting jasmine flowers from uh, yes. seed or trying to get plants, and will they grow in the area? You know, like, that's stuff that I'm trying to figure out, and then it turns out there's, I like... I have an answer for you if you want. Well, I heard there's a jasmine that grows like a weed, and then I heard that there's a jasmine that they use for, like, aromatherapy and stuff like that. Uh, oh, cool. I, I am interested in jasmine for... As you would use it if you were making teas or things like that, and I just... I thought that it would attract pollinators for... Uh, mm-hmm. you know, st- stimulating the growth in the different tomato patches. Plus, I thought that a splash of color would work. See, I don't think I'm going to go full cottage garden, but I'm anxious to break out of the rigidity of the square foot method. You know, I'm looking for yes. pops of color that make it look organic and less structured because, like, I kind of feel like a jailer when I'm walking out there in my in my little grids and, like, I'm, I've got the kite string... Uh, or in my instance, I actually use butcher twine because I use it for everything. Oh my gosh, what an image! That's great. But yeah. Um, well, okay, let's. I do have resources that I have. I, I got them from that Back Mountain Bloomers group, and I'm gonna try to share information gleaned from that again in my show notes page. So again, if you're driving or something like that, don't worry about writing anything down. Like everything we really talk about, I'm gonna link back to for further study so that you can become better gardeners. Are you also drinking this Apothic Red? Uh, yes, it is. What do you think of it? I am enjoying it. I've always done the Apothic Dark. Have you tried that? No, I haven't done the Dark yet. Is it a blend? It is also a blend, but it's it's black or grape. You know, like if if you okay. like some of those Italian varietals, uh, you're gonna you're gonna like some of the character that gets worked into the Apothic Dark. So I definitely recommend it. It, okay, I'm going to put it on my list. It, it was funny. Um, we were trying to correspond what wine we would drink together uh, for this particular show, but I live in Pennsylvania, which is a draconian liquor state. Like, we have a specific <sighs> thing that the government makes available to us, and you're in Oregon, and I have no idea what you guys had access to. So, like, I was just taking pictures of things, being like, can you get this? Can you get this? And, like, waiting for you to get back. That's so interesting. I didn't know that about Pennsylvania. That's yeah. weird. I feel like it's so much more, huh, yeah. modern than that, but maybe not. Um, do you have anything else you could tell me about uh, about uh, cottage gardening? Um, sure. So I have a couple of pointers. So when it comes, if you're going to be doing cottage gardenings for seven years, several years or so, try to save money or uh, by collecting seeds from your own plants. Um, I'm sure you've talked about this before, but you'll want to collect when they're dry and you'll want to collect from your best performers so that you can put them down the following year 
basic um, genetic selection. You're going to try to change area. Oh, what was that? I said that was basic genetic selection. And you're right. I did do an episode on seed saving with author Phoebe North of Starglass. Uh, so if you haven't checked awesome. it out, you totally should. Okay, I'll go check that one out for sure. Mulching with yard debris. It's a cheap and easy way to get nutrients back into your soil. I think we basically touched on everything else. Um, I wanted to uh, point people to a couple of references that I collected that I use a lot. I use the Spruce. They've got great information. You're probably familiar with them. Every yeah. time I Google something, it's like the first source, and they're just so complete. I love it. I also uh, use the Almanac for when you want to start planting, and it'll have information for your local area. You probably have talked about that before. Yeah, I always um, search it online, but from the almanac.com. Yeah. And then also, um, every state has land-grant colleges. Those colleges are going to have ex extension services where they'll talk about the plants that grow in your area, the studies that have been done on them, um, any experimental species and anything up and coming. So that's a great resource for anybody who's wanting to start a garden. For us in the northeastern Pennsylvania area, our land-grant college is Penn State. Penn State will do nice. your soils testing and everything. And if you're in New Jersey, uh, your land-grant college is my alma mater, Rutgers University, uh, home of the Rutgers 250 tomato. Their Cook Campus and Cook College is the New Jersey land-grant school that you're going to want to go to. And they also have a hotline for any issues that you ever run into for problems that you have with your garden if New Jersey is local to you. Where do you recommend people look into in Oregon? Um, so Oregon State Extension Service, uh, they have been uh, – that's my alma mater – um, they've been really great. And then also Oregon Live. It's our online version of the Oregonian, which is the state paper. And they have a lot of um, tips and tricks and people more like novice gardeners giving tips where uh, Oregon State is people who have dedicated their careers to it. Penn State, I think, over here also certifies our master gardeners. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I don't know who does that out here. Oh, you got to look into Master Gardener programs. They're awesome. There's a public service element, and a lot of the people from the Back Mountain Bloomers in my area are either Master Gardeners or getting into the pursuit thereof, um, but it's really, really a great service to look into if you want to grow as a gardener or if you need some hit, help or tips. Those are the types of people you want to talk to. Oh, cool. I feel like we might be winding down. Yeah, I think so. All right. Hey, it has been a real pleasure to have you on the show. I really hope that I can get you on to talk about things again in the future because you've been a real joy to talk to and you've come armed to the teeth with knowledge. I normally have to do quite a bit of heavy <laughs> lifting on these types of episodes and you've just made it so easy for me. Oh, well, thanks. I enjoyed talking about it. I love to talk to other passionate gardeners. So, yeah, I, I'll share my love for bees, gardens, plants, food, all things locally grown anytime. All right. That sounds great. I guess that's it. Cheers. Cheers. You have a great night. <laughs> you too. Thank you for listening to Drunk Bot. Visit us at drunkbotany.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll join you next week. <laughs>